July 18th. As we look into the New Testament today, we'll be reading from the book of Romans, chapter 4, beginning at verse 13, and we'll go through chapter 5, verse 5. Now, in chapter 4, Paul went back to Abraham and David to explain how God declares believing sinners righteous. Now he goes all the way back to Adam. Adam's sin passed sin and death onto the whole human race. But Christ's obedience gives righteousness and life to all who trust Him. In our first birth, we became condemned children of Adam. But in our second birth, we are the forgiven children of God. And there are riches, peace, access into God's grace, joy, hope, love, and the Holy Spirit. What riches we have in Christ. And trials work for us, not against us and develop Christian character. How rich we are. And now let's begin today's reading in the New Testament. July 18th, Romans chapter 4, verse 13 through chapter 5, verse 5. It is clear then that God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was not based on obedience to God's law, but on the new relationship with God that comes by faith. So if you claim that God's promise is for those who obey God's law and think they are good enough in God's sight, then you are saying that faith is useless. And in that case, the promise is also meaningless. But the law brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. So that's why faith is the key. God's promise is given to us as a free gift, and we are certain to receive it, whether or not we follow Jewish customs, if we have faith like Abraham's. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the Scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who brings into existence what didn't exist before. When God promised Abraham that he would become the father of many nations, Abraham believed him. God had also said, Your descendants will be as numerous as the stars, even though such a promise seemed utterly impossible. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though he knew that he was too old to be a father at the age of one hundred, and that Sarah, his wife, had never been able to have children. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was absolutely convinced that God was able to do anything he promised. And because of Abraham's faith, God declared him to be righteous. Now this wonderful truth that God declared him to be righteous wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was for us too assuring us that God will also declare us to be righteous if we believe in God, who brought Jesus our Lord back from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins, and He was raised from the dead to make us right with God. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of highest privilege where we now stand, 
and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they are good for us. They help us learn to endure, and endurance develops strength of character in us, and character strengthens our confident expectation of salvation, and this expectation will not disappoint us. For we know how dearly God loves us, because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. Are you really better than that guy? That's the subject of today's Higher Things video short. That guy could be anyone. From the guy who just fell, the pastor who just fell, Billy Graham's grandson, to... um, the guy in your church that did that thing, you know the thing that I'm talking about, or that guy who hasn't been to church in a long time, that guy at work who's such a jerk, that that guy who um, doesn't believe in Jesus. You, We pretty much insert that guy um, in any comparison that we make in which we justify ourselves before God because at least we're better than that guy. Or we would never do what that guy does. And so that guy should be judged by God because that guy did what they did as opposed to us who wouldn't unless given the chance. The only difference between that guy and us is either that guy's been caught or we haven't had the opportunity or the situation to do what that guy did. Christ. Christ died for that guy, and he died for you. He died so that you would have life, life eternal. He died that that guy would have life eternal too. He died so that you would love that guy as yourself. He died to bring you into that guy's life in order to lift that guy up rather than to tear that guy down. You are forgiven all your sins. It is by grace alone that you are not in whatever the thing is that that guy is in. And it is by grace alone that that guy and you are saved. That is by gift alone. Freely earned by a God who gave up his son freely given to you in the waters of your baptism, in the word, and in his body and blood. There's no difference internally between you and that guy. You're both made of the same stuff. That guy may have other sin problems that you do. You may never struggle with what they struggle with. But you got other problems. And so there's really no place in Christianity for judgment. God will be the judge. We should carpet bomb folks with forgiveness and love and mercy and understanding and the best construction and absolution. We should forgive as we have been forgiven and love as we have been loved. For that guy has been mercied by God. That guy has been loved by God. That guy has been absolved by God in the giving up of his son. Well, that guy didn't accept that absolution. Really? Do you know? 
Maybe they're just struggling with that, receiving. Either way, how can you lift that guy up? How can you be for that guy Calvary much? Because you're no better than that guy. You're just forgiven like that guy by Jesus. Today we're reading Psalm 14, verses 1 through 7. The contrast is between the generation of the wicked and the generation of the righteous. Now the latter group is made up of those who have trusted the Lord and seek Him and His will. The generation of the wicked is composed of people who are practical atheists. God is not in their hearts. No matter what they may say and do outwardly, they can live without God. They disobey God and exploit people made in the image of God. They are corrupt, and so they do corrupt things. The generation of the righteous calls on the Lord, and He answers. God dwells with these people, protects them, and gives them joyful hope. The group may not be large, but it is precious to God, and the future of God's program rests with it. So, of which group are you a member? Have you made your allegiance known? Psalm 14, verses 1 through 7. For the choir director, a psalm of David. Only fools say in their hearts, There is no God. They are corrupt, and their actions are evil. No one does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the entire human race. He looks to see if there is even one with real understanding, one who seeks for God. But no, all have turned away from God. All have become corrupt. No one does good, not even one. Will those who do evil never learn? They eat up my people like bread. They wouldn't think of praying to the Lord. Terror will grip them, for God is with those who obey Him. The wicked frustrate the plans of the oppressed, but the Lord will protect His people. Oh, that salvation would come from Mount Zion to rescue Israel! For when the Lord restores His people, Jacob will shout with joy, and Israel will rejoice. Proverbs 19, verse 17 If you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord, and He will repay you. <laughs> 